Let me pray, and then we'll look into God's Word this morning. So God, you, we do believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe you speak to us. We believe what Scripture says, and that is um, that the Holy Spirit breathed life into all these writings, all these sacred writings that we call the Old and the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit breathed into these individuals who wrote, wrote these down and researched these stories and listen to your voice, and so we pray that you'd help us understand what you want us to see and hear, and then what you want us to do, how you want us to change, and then you give us the power to change so we can be the kind of people you want us to be, and that's full of life and power that come from you that are part of your world uh, revolution to change people with your love. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, today we're talking about Philip in the Old Testament, uh, New Testament. So I, I thought, well, let's, let's talk about famous people named Philip. So I Googled that. I didn't recognize any of the people. Like, it's, here's, here's some of the famous Philips. Maybe you know them. This is counting from 10 down to 1. This is just somebody's random website. Philip Colson, Philip Adams, Philip Vassar, Philip Law, Philip Griffiths, Philip Hughes, Philip Noyce, Philip Schofield, Philip Allen Sharp, and Philip King. Moral of the story is, if you want your kid to be famous, don't name him Philip, right? right now. Then I also saw another list that had Phil Donahue, if you're old like me, right? Phil Collins, right? Uh, Phil Mickelson, Aaron, golfer, right? Yeah, that's probably what you thought right away. Well, Phil Mickelson, right? Uh, Dr. Phil, and then uh, Phil Hartman, actor. But I just thought, you know, with, uh, so I have a twin brother named Philip, so, but that's beside the point. But that, I just thought there's nobody... So if you ever want to know if your name has anybody else famous, Google famous people named, you know, Johnny or whatever. So, but I just, I was shocked. I thought, well, wasn't there, was there any, no presidents named Philip, I don't think. Was there a King Philip somewhere along the line, probably? I don't know. Yeah, so anyway. So, but today we're talking about a really important Philip, and it's the Philip in the New Testament, Philip in the book of Acts. Philip that did incredible things. Um, And I've been doing a series called... uh, this is who we are. And I talked, uh, yeah, go to the next slide. I talked about this a few weeks ago when I changed, uh, do you have that other slide, Stephanie? I don't have it on there. What's the next slide? Leave it back to, leave it back to the other one. I must have deleted it by mistake, but um, it's kind of like when I didn't spell starting right, I guess, anyway. So uh, the series is called This is Who We Are. And it started with Pentecost, when we looked at Pentecost, and I we are the people of Pentecost. Because initially I was looking at the series, I think I called it something else that sounded like more of a history lesson. But it's not history. When we talk about the people in the book of Acts that are kind of, they're propelled by the Spirit at Pentecost, it's who we are. It's not just them, oh, neat people, it's great that God did those things then, but now we're on our own. We don't have that supernatural kind of reality. No, it's who we are. Now, it's not who we are yet for a lot of us, most of us, all of us, but it's who we are. The things that happen, uh, the book Acts of the Apostles is what people often refer to it. Some people call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but it's basically, I think it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit as through ordinary people. So Philip is the, is the person we're looking at today. Philip was... Uh, not, there is a Philip who's the, one of the disciples. This is a different Philip. So there are actually two famous Philips in the New Testament. So uh, let's just look. It's Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at Philip, and it's like, this is who we are. If we're like him, 
What does that mean for us? All right, now I go to the next one. So Acts chapter 8, and I'll, I'll, I'll start with this verse and I'll read the passage. So it says, Philip, so here's, here's the context. If you might remember, uh, the disciples, there were some problems with the Greek Jews, the Greek widows, and the Jewish widows uh, needed to be taken care of by the church. But there was kind of disagreement. Some were like, well, the Jewish widows are getting taken care of better than the Greek widows, who are all Christians. They're all Christians. So they appointed what they called deacons. Stephen was one of the deacons. Philip was one of the deacons. Stephen, who we talked about last week, was the one who was stoned. He was the first, the martyr of the church. Um, he was stoned because he talked about Jesus. He wasn't stoned because he, you know, he stoned because he talked about Jesus. So, and what we read at the end of Acts 7, after Philip's death, the very end, it said, you know, he was okay. Saul was a, a, a rabid traditional Jew. So uh, here's what happened. This is Acts chapter 8. So again, what just happened is Stephen just died. Well, we don't know if it just happened like days before, but it's obviously within a, in a close proximity of days and weeks probably. So Stephen has just died. People have been healed. All kinds of things are happening. And this is what we read then. It says, Saul was one of the witnesses. This is Acts chapter 8. And he, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. And we read, we'll see later next week, we actually look at Saul becoming Paul. Then uh, verse, verse 2, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. So Stephen wasn't just the first, all right? And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. The idea is the apostles probably felt like, well, no, we need to stay here. We need to stay in Jerusalem. And, uh, but a lot of people kind of fled because they were afraid. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And again, let's, let's just be honest. There's, there's tension in this in the, in the book of Acts. It's not all hallmark. It's, there's tension here. Right? You know, Saul's dragging people out of the house, throwing them in jail. So that's, again, the context. Now we go, verse 4, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. There was no cowering there was no we better lay low for a while they scattered but they preached the good news about jesus and then verse five philip one of the deacons for example went to the city of samaria and told the people there about the messiah crowds listened intently to philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did many evil spirits were cast out screaming as they left their victims and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now, the city he was in was in Samaria. And maybe you remember the Samaritans were kind of the despised race. They were kind of half-bred Jews who had a little bit of goofy tweaks in their theology. So the Jews considered them heretics. But they were still, still half-Jewish. They still were people of God. If a Jew was going to go from the northern part of Israel to the southern part of Israel, if you go in a certain, one certain way, you, could, you should go through Samaria as the shortest point. But they wanted to avoid that because they wanted to avoid going through that area. So there was, there was racial tension there, uh, probably even greater than any of the racial tension we've experienced in our country. I mean, they hated each other. So ironic, interesting, that one of the first spreading of ministry and of missions was Stephen, 
Philip being sent to Samaria, but he does incredible things. Casts out demons. So, uh, and when I say this is who we are, then you might think, well, is that what we're supposed to do? I, I don't know. That's what Philip did, and that's what men and women throughout the, the, the Bible did. So there's something there. There's a spiritual reality there. All right, so, and then I, I'm going to skip part of eight, because then part of eight, this is what, and you may want to go read it on your own. Uh, so Philip's in Samaria doing all this stuff, and there was a sorcerer, the Bible calls him, a magician named Simon. He saw all the stuff that Philip was doing. Simon himself had some kind of power. We don't know if it was demonic power or what, but he did great things in the people, and the people were like, called him the great one. But yet when Philip starts doing things, Philip's works he was doing way outdid what Simon did. So Simon um, wants to talk to Philip. He wants these. So you can read about that. That's kind of a side story. It's not a side story. It's a part of the book, part of the Bible. But I'm not going to go there. So I'm going to stay on Philip. So then the story that I want to focus on today is what people might refer to as the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. So go to the next passage. So this is Acts chapter 8 later. And I'll just start with this, then we'll fill in the context. So again, Philip had been in Samaria, done incredible things. And then the Bible tells us, and when I say the Bible, Luke is thought to have written the book of Acts. Luke was an educated doctor, medical doctor. So when you think about these things, you think, oh, Luke probably talked to somebody who knew somebody. He might have talked. Maybe Luke talked to Philip. And I, I'm saying that because the Bible didn't just appear. It was, it was people who were driven by the Holy Spirit. So Luke probably got this from an interview with Philip or somebody who knew Philip. So there's accuracy and kind of reminiscing of what happened. So, but it's the, as for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So right away, Philip gets sent somewhere else. He was in Samaria, and now he's sent somewhere else. And we'll deal with here in a second the fact that it's an angel said to him. So here's verse 26 of Acts 8. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now when I read that, the first thing I notice it says an angel said to him we doesn't say he saw an angel it may have been a voice it may have been an impression because again this is who we are and you might say well i don't know if an angel's ever talked to me before you don't know there may have been the maybe philip had an impression that he felt like was super that he that he believed was supernaturally inspired but the the instructions from god through this angel were very specific go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So the Holy Spirit can even give a specific direction like that. So he's given specific direction. And so he starts out and he meets the treasure of Ethiopia. Ethiopia, country in northern Africa, kind of. Treasure of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He was now returning Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So Philip's going down this road. The Holy Spirit sent him down. And there's this uh, important government official um, from Ethiopia who was reading the book of Isaiah. Then verse 29, this is all part of the same part of this. The Holy Spirit says to Philip. So first we read that the angel of the Lord told Philip, go down this way. 
Now the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go over and walk along beside the carriage. Again, it doesn't say, we don't know if Philip had an internal impression. Must have been something he was convinced was the voice of God, was the voice of the Holy Spirit. Not unlike any of us can experience. It wasn't that he had some kind of you know, voice in the clouds or something that was weird. It was weird, weird meter stuff, but it was clear. He knew this is what God was saying. Whether it was go down the road, and now he's saying go to that chariot and walk by it. So he knew, just like we can know if God's sending us to an individual, a person, maybe a neighbor, maybe a coworker. So he goes and... The, I like this part too. The Holy Spirit says go, and then... Verse 30, it says, Philip ran. So right away, he knew. So he must have been clear about his understanding of what God was telling him to do. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I? Unless someone instructs me. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. This is from Isaiah chapter 52. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb silent before the shears, he didn't open his mouth. And he was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So he's reading the Bible. The, the thought was he probably was a believer in God who had gone to Jerusalem. He wasn't Jewish. He was Ethiopian. So we don't really know but I want to highlight two things that Philip was doing because he was told by God to do it. So I say this is who we are, but I'll also add this. This is what we do. We hear and respond to the voice of God because that's what Philip was doing. He had no agenda other than what the angel said, now go down this road, and then the Spirit said to him, now go over to that chariot hear and respond. I haven't, I haven't used that a lot lately, but for, and it's, it's still in my mind, a large part of our responsibility as a follower of Jesus is to hear and respond to his voice. When you, even Jesus said in John, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Book of Revelation, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's repeated a number of times. So it seems like a large part of our, if you want to say, our measure of success as a follower of Jesus, are we hearing and responding? So hearing and responding is what we do. Who we are, we're these people, we're people of Pentecost, but if we have the Holy Spirit in us, then we are able to hear and respond. And maybe you've had conversations even lately where you wonder if the Holy Spirit was somehow directing what was happening in the conversation. And if you have it, maybe you will. Where you realize the conversation seemed to be directed toward a certain topic that you just went there because you were directed to. So again, we, when I look at Philip, and we look at Philip, and this is who we are, he's somebody who listened to God and then responded. All right? Now, the last part of the passage, so the, the, the man's in the carriage asking him, what does this mean? I don't know what it means. He's reading from Isaiah. And then go to the next slide. And the eunuch asks Philip, tell me, what was this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Because he's reading, 
This passage, he was led like a sheep to slaughter. The lamb is silent before his shearer, so he didn't open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. Then verse 34, which is up on the screen, the eunuch then asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? And then verse 35, so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriers to stop, and they went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. We don't know exactly what that means, but he was gone. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. So when, when the, this passage I'm highlighting because when the, when the eunuch asks the question, who's he talking about? Philip's answer is really clear. He talks about Jesus. He talks about Jesus. He doesn't talk about religion. He doesn't talk about politics. And I'm saying that because Christianity is all about Jesus. And you might say that's an obvious thing to state. But yet, sometimes when you read about Christian things or Christian, sometimes it tends to be about right-wing politics or left-wing politics or moral behavior or things like that. But Christianity is all about Jesus. So these men and women who were scattered out and sent out, they weren't scattered out and sent out in the name of any mindset, any worldview, except talking about Jesus. And I say... I actually have this sign. I've never, I've ne- you may see me, but I've never marched around town with this. But I had, I had this made um, because Jesus is for everyone. And then I have on the other side, it says, follow Jesus, there's no one like him. And I, maybe I did this just for me to realize this is, this is why we, this is who we are. We follow Jesus. We're not, we're not even asking people to become, oops, sorry members of a church ultimately that's what you when you follow Jesus but we're asking people to follow Jesus because there's no one like him and there's no one there's there's no one else like him and he's for everybody so here he is for this Ethiopian eunuch and so the gospel of Jesus is for everyone and it's not just for um, Midwest Americans it's Jesus for everybody it's the gospel of Jesus is for people who are born Muslim people who are born Hindu people who are born wherever, that's who Jesus is for. But again, the way they know that is because people like us, God uses in those conversations. So maybe think about somebody that you know that is not a believer, but maybe is a co-worker, family member, neighbor, whatever. You have no idea how God may want to orchestrate a conversation, not force a conversation not jerk a conversation off topic, but you have no idea that someone that you've been talking to or will talk to may have spiritual questions, and you're in that conversation just to receive the question and take it to Jesus. We never know that. But you don't know that till it happens. You don't necessarily go into a conversation with a friend or a coworker or a neighbor thinking, I'm going to talk about Jesus with them. Maybe you do, but you never should go in there forcing it in there, but you... Sometimes the conversation happens and you have an opportunity to talk about it because Jesus put you in that conversation. 
So again, this is who we are. We're the kind of, we're the people of Pentecost. We're people of the Holy Spirit. We're people who are led by and hear and respond to what Jesus tells us to do. But we're also people who talk about Jesus. That's the focal point. It's not, again, we're not talking about Christianity as a religion per se. We're talking about Jesus, who obviously is the, is, he is the head of the body of Christ. But we're talking about Jesus. So maybe this week you'll have a conversation. Maybe the Holy Spirit will even nudge you to go talk to a neighbor or a friend. And you have no idea what the conversations are going to be about. Philip didn't know when he went to the chariot he was going to be talking about the prophet Isaiah. He just did what he knew he was supposed to do. So you never know where God may lead you into a conversation this week that seems like a casual conversation, but God wants you in that conversation. All right, let's pray. So Jesus, we, we all have friends. Um, we all have coworkers. We all have neighbors. And we all have conversations sometimes that are just what's going on in your life conversations. But God, we also know that if we are the people of Pentecost and we're the people of the Holy Spirit, you may send me or Bill Downey or Johnny Wybrew or Heather Kensick, you may send us into a conversation this week not to hijack the conversation, but just to take the conversation to Jesus. So Jesus, we want to be people who go where you want us to go, even if it just means the sidestep of our daily routine to go talk to somebody. But we want to be responsive to those, those smaller promptings or the bigger promptings. But when we f- sense the time is right, we want to bring the conversation to Jesus. Because Jesus, you alone will solve the hope and the hunger that people we know have. So Jesus, would you do that? Would you, would you lead us into conversations even this week that uh, we're bringing up the name of Jesus is a natural reaction in a situation that you've put us into? So we want to we be your sent ones. We want to be your apostles. We want people to know you because we think and we believe that you alone are the one who will bring people to life and hope. Let me ask the song in Christ's name. Amen.